Welcome to You, Me, Empathy. Thank you for listening. We would like to remind you that this podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Known as just a silly boy with a feely heart. Please consider supporting the show. Check us out on Patreon or simply leave a review on iTunes. Here is your host and creator of the show, Known Wells. Greetings, feely humans. Welcome to You Me Empathy. My name is Known Wells, and this is episode 43. On episode 43, I chat with my guest, Janet Fouts, about caring for yourself while caring for others. We talk about what it means to be a caretaker, the burden we put on ourselves as feely humans, and all sorts of other things. <clears throat> One uh, thing I'd like to point out, something that came up during the episode, was uh, a little self-care, self-awareness, self-compassion tip uh, that Janet shared in the episode. It's a gem, and uh, I just loved it, and I think will live with me for a long time, hopefully forever, is uh, she says every every person she comes across, um, she says in her mind, in her little mind palace, in her heart, she says, may you be safe, may you be happy. Isn't that beautiful? May you be safe, may you be happy. It, uh, Janet says that it, it helps her just sort of put on a more compassionate uh, lens uh, with the world and, and it, uh, toward herself and toward others. And uh, I think it's just beautiful. So, to you listeners, I say, may you be safe, may you be happy. And I hope you enjoy this episode. Before we get to it, though, <clears throat> please um, leave you me empathy a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. It's uh, it's a free way to support the show. It allows um, more people to see uh, you me empathy when they do searches in iTunes and uh, things like that. So please uh, leave a review if you have not done so. And if you do so, I will read it here on the show. So that that could be fun. Um, the other thing I'll say is, uh, if you're not following Yumi Empathy on Instagram, uh, Yumi Empathy, at Yumi Empathy, or Twitter, at Yumi Empathy. We also have a, a Facebook group community, which is fantastic. It's facebook.com slash groups slash Yumi Empathy. And we have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash Yumi Empathy. If you want to go give us a like over there, that'd be fantastic too. Okay. I, uh, I love you. Thanks for listening. May you be safe, may you be happy, and enjoy this episode, episode 43, with my guest Janet Fouts on caring for yourself while caring for others. Empathy, a podcast about exploring the struggles we face in our day-to-day -day lives as humans trying to get by on this wondrous and overwhelming pale blue dot. The intent of Yumi Empathy is to talk openly, without judgment, about our neuroses, our mental illnesses, our shared anxieties and worries, to create a dialogue that is vulnerable and deeply human and empathetic, and to share that dialogue with others to inspire emotional and cognitive collaboration and insight so we can hand in hand, break down the stigma that make us feel shame and guilt for struggling, for feeling our feelings, for being human. Yumi Empathy is a safe, friendly space designed to inspire the beauty in each of us. Today, I'm excited to welcome a new friend into the Empathy Cave to explore caring for yourself while caring for others with author, speaker, and mindful social media thinker, Janet Fouts. Hello, Janet. Hello. It's great to meet you. 
Yeah, you as well. Thanks for being on Yumi Empathy. Oh, my pleasure. So before we get into uh, the topic of caring for yourself while caring for others and being a caregiver and mindfulness and all this stuff that you uh, sort of are immersed in on a day-to-day basis, uh, we always start the show with a check-in. This is just an emotional check-in to see how we are doing today, how our week has been. So how are you doing today, Janet? You know, I'm doing fabulously well. I'm sitting next to my horse in a field looking at an absolutely gorgeous sky. And this is my happy place. So it's my best possible place to be. That sounds amazing. And where, I mean, so maybe you don't know this about me, but we have horses too. I didn't know that. <laughs> How cool. Yeah. Small world. I was, uh, I was wed into a horse family. I married a horse. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I married a human being who loves horses. <laughs> <laughs> um, there is something, like I don't ride. I used to ride with my partner, but I don't much anymore. And uh, But I do, I am around the horses a lot. And I, I'm wondering, I'm, I'm assuming you can relate to this. There are such magical creatures and they are so they're just there's a calming presence there whenever i'm sort of even cleaning up their shit they are and yep even when you're picking up poop it's amazing because you know these animals just are so compassionate they put up with so much from us humans and they still love us and they still come to us and my horse when i uh, drive into the ranch that I keep her at, everybody tells me that she knickers as soon as she hears the car turn the corner. Uh-huh. And there's nothing that moves my heart more than that. <laughs> That's so lovely. I love that so much. And uh, yeah, I, I relate to that a, a lot. And I, I, well, I'm glad, I'm glad you're uh, in that sort of safe, uh, beautiful, calming place right now. Yeah, yeah. It's a uh, wonderful place to be. It is indeed. Uh, so uh, for me, I just wanted to mention to the listeners that I just finished this morning, actually, as of this recording, um, the book Furiously Happy by Jenny Lawson. Uh, have you read this book, Janet? I haven't. It's really quite Tell good. Us. Yeah, it's really quite good. It's um, She's a blogger, essayist, uh, very funny, very, very funny, like, like, the funniest writing I've, I've read, I've read in a long time. And it's, uh, it's memoir. It's a bunch of different essays and, and sort of anecdotes about life. But it, it's sort of the running theme is her sort of her depression, her anxiety disorders, her mental illness. And, uh, the way she talks about it is such, uh, with such vulnerability and empathy for others who are going through the same. It's just, um, you know, makes me feel less alone, uh, made me laugh out loud many times, made me cry a little bit. It's quite good, and I recommend it to everyone. Mm. Yeah. I'll have to look for it. It sounds wonderful. Yeah. There's nothing like someone who can look at themselves like that and and have a sense of humor about it, too. It's It's really wonderful. It is. It is. It's hard to get there and, and find the humor in it sometimes, but I think... We kind of have to, uh, you know, just for like, that's like a self-care moment or a, a self-care perspective. Like, you know, it, it can, you know, as someone who has depression, it can get dark and it can be overwhelming. And if I can find, if I can break through a little bit and, and find a little bit of humor, even if it's dark humor, uh, then, um, you, you know, the levity there is, is super important. Well, not to quote Reader's Digest or anything, but laughter is the best medicine for us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Agreed. Agreed. Well, um, so I'll, I'll make sure for the listeners, I'll make sure to link that book, Furiously Happy, in the show notes. So, Janet, let's, before we get into um, the work you're doing in, in writing about caregiving and caring for yourself while caring for others, I want to sort of set the scene by maybe exploring some of your seminal moments in your own mental health journey, whether those moments were 
in your childhood or adulthood. I just want to sort of paint the picture leading up toward your, you know, sort of that one seminal moment that sort of sparked this journey into self-care. Well, it's really interesting. You know, I was raised to care for others by my parents. Um, We were, uh, when we were kids, we lived on a lodge in northern Wisconsin. And part of our duties was to care for the guests at the lodge and make sure that everybody was happy. And I think it was instilled in me back then that caring for others was a way of creating happiness for yourself. And I didn't realize it then, obviously. In fact, I hated it then. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But as I grew older, I found that I naturally want to take care of people. If someone has a problem, I got to fix it. And that's just the way I'm wired. And, you know, when my partner got cancer, I couldn't fix it. And it was so devastating to us and our relationship, not so much our relationship that we had problems, but just that both of us were in deep trauma at the same time, which is always so much harder. And I really realized that everything I was doing to try to deal with my depression then um, wasn't working. And I just, I had to find other ways to get out of my own head and, and stop doing the damage I was doing to myself. And um, it was a long, a long journey but I think I finally found it. That's great to hear. Uh, You know, before we get into some of the, the, the ways that you are sort of exploring self-care in a, in a positive and healing way, I am curious about the things that you were struggling with and the, you know, maybe the, the, yeah, the struggles that you had during that time before you found that, that sort of light bulb moment. Like what, sure. did that, what did that well, look like? Well, you know, it was really um, challenging for me dealing with the fact that I couldn't fix what was broken yeah. and that there really wasn't anything I could do. And, you know, I, w- I went into frantic action. That didn't help. I took drugs. That didn't help. I tried alcohol. That didn't help. And I just kept drilling down deeper and deeper. And, uh, you know, I found a lot of resources online for depression and and things like that. And none of those were really helping me either. Um, I tried quite a few things, I guess, over time. And it really came down to just a very deep sense of hmm, my own self-worth was really low. And I just really felt that I was a failure. I had failed the one person that I love more than anyone, anything else in the world. And it turned out later that I realized that I also felt I'd failed myself in that way. Mm. And so, you know, those two things together were just devastating for me. And, uh, yeah, it got pretty dark. Yeah, that's, and, a hard, um, that's a tough burden. I mean, we, we put so much on ourselves, even when the reality is that, uh, as you admitted, uh, there, you know, there are things out of our control, but it's hard to accept that. It is. It is. And, and especially, like I said, I'm a fixer. So the idea that I couldn't fix it and the frustration that there was nothing that I could do, the hopelessness of that mm. just was really hard for me to take. Yeah. And I, I imagine being a fixer that is part of your you know, established identity. Yes. And, and when you can't be that, you know, be who you are for the people you love most in this world. Yeah. That's, that's, that's tough. That's very tough. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And, you know, we all need to realize that at some point we're going to be in a position where we need more help than we can give. And sometimes it takes a long road to get to that realization. Yeah, absolutely. We we all need help. We all need guidance. We all need each other. And I think um, in our mental illness, in our depression, in our struggle, sometimes we feel so isolated, and and we want to isolate more because you know we we imagine uh, 
this person, you know, my friends can't understand or they can't understand what I'm going through or whatever, whatever we sort of convince ourselves of. But the reality is that they probably can. And -hmm. they may be able to help a little bit. Yeah. And and sometimes (laughs) I realized that one of the problems that I had was that I didn't want to give up the power of owning it all myself. Mm. And so I didn't want anybody to try to help me. And again, that wasn't really a conscious thing. It was something I realized later when I actually did reach out and, and people did help me. Um, that was really pivotal for me to go, okay, I, I can get help. Um, and it turned out that it was friends, not my therapist, not any of the rest of the stuff. It was friends yeah. who said, yeah, I've been there. I understand. I, I love that, and I, it's such a beautiful reminder that of, of what we're talking about, that, you know, the people in our lives are important, and, and they, they are mirrors to ourselves, um, and, you know, I'm just so happy to hear that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, walk me through a little bit of, you know, the sort of the cancer diagnosis of your partner and, and, and your emotional state as that was happening. And then, then sort of that, that sort of those initial sort of moments. Okay. That one's going to be hard. Well, um, (laughs) you know, when she was diagnosed with breast cancer, it was an immediate, Oh God, we have to get this out. Um, the medical facility that we were at was, very clinical about how they did things, no pun intended. And it made it even more difficult for us to make decisions. And we kind of felt that we were just pushed into one direction and that was what we were going to have to do. And something that neither of us really wanted to take, but there was no solution. And so she immediately had surgery, then she went into chemo and then she had radiation and All of that was physically and mentally devastating for her and certainly mentally devastating for me, too, because, again, I was in that position where she was in agony and I couldn't really help her beyond being there and being support. And um, so, you know, it really, over the years, we've managed to deal with that, but it took us quite a while to come to terms with the fact that this is our now. And, you know, if we're going to be in this now, then we have to live it as best we can. Yeah, that, I mean, that's amazing insight, but just the, the loss of identity, the loss, you know, the, the loss of identity your partner must have felt and the loss of the change of it all and, and the, the, yeah, just the, the vastness of that change and loss of identity has, you know, it's, that's brutal. And, and, and no one should have to go through that. Well, kind of a classic example of that was seeing the plastic surgeon and talking to him about potential reconstruction. And he basically said, well, you know, after the radiation, it pretty, it's really going to hit you hard because they're going to do a lot of radiation. And, So, you know, you probably can't do reconstruction. And Mm. she burst into tears and he said, I don't really know what you're so upset about. I see people here all the time who lose legs and arms and that's so much more important. You need to just calm down. And I was just floored. It was all I could do to just not belt him. Yeah. (laughs) It was so, so cold. Yeah. And I understand that that's true. You know, I, I do understand that that's true and that people go through horrific things but for her this was a horrific thing and to not get any compassion at all from a physician it, it was just unconscionable to me well it is and and i'm sorry you had to go through that and your partner had to go through that because i mean sure he's right in the sense that uh yeah other people lose legs and limbs or whatever but the point is that we each have our own sort of journey and perspectives on things and 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 the reality of the situation is that your partner was dealing with a trauma and and going through that and that was very real to her and to you and yeah that that's oh that's that's yucky i'm sorry about that 
Yeah. Well, and you know, I think it really brings home the point that we don't know what other people's struggles are, but they are all equally as important as whatever struggle we're going through. Absolutely. And, you know, finding ways to bring that compassion to as many situations as we can during the day without absorbing that energy ourselves is really important. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, remi- I talk about this all the time on this podcast and remind myself of it. Yeah, we, we don't know what people are going through. And, and to, to go about life in a compassionate, respectful, empathic way is, is what we all have to do and remind ourselves of. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Tell me about the, you know, the sort of after you, you know, after the period of time where you were coming to terms with the reality of the cancer and and that that life change, like what what sort of insights have you gained about your relationship? Well, it's brought us a lot closer. Um, you know, initially it was kind of isolating for both of us because we kind of went to our corners and went, holy shit, how are we going to deal with this? Yeah. But, you know, we are always supportive of each other. And so in this case, it was just a thing that brought us closer together. And, you know, we we locked arms and, and went after it because, you know, that's kind of in her DNA as well as in mine. So, you know, it wasn't something that was going to, it wasn't something that was going to get us, you know, it was okay. You know, how are we going to, how are we going to deal with this? And, you know, she supported me as much as I supported her, which is a beautiful thing. I'm so very, very fortunate to have someone like, like CJ. That's yeah. That's amazing. What, in what ways did, in what ways was she supporting you? She was, at first, she was kind of, you know, protective and, and not telling me things. And so we had to talk about that, how important it was that we both shared. And so we did both share and we still do. And, you know, when I told her about my depression, she's the one that, you know, she's like, well, you need to start talking to people. You need to try to get help. And, you know, she was always very and still is always very considerate of you know, how does this affect me and how does it affect her? And, you know, we just really, we really stick together. That's great. That's so good to hear. You you hear about, you know, and it's such a tragic thing, and I, I understand it on a certain level, but you hear about partners going through cancer or, or you know, just trauma in general and, and, the, the trauma of that experience impacts the relationship in, in a way that sometimes it doesn't work out, you know, and, and I get that too. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful and, and happy to hear that, you know, you guys have grown stronger through that experience. Well, it doesn't always. I, you know, through my experiences and researching for the book, I really came to understand that a lot of people can't handle it. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were a lot of cases where people literally walked away from the person that they loved because they just couldn't handle the pain themselves. And um, maybe that was because it wasn't mutual, that they didn't have the mutual support, because um, we don't always. Right. So, you know, again, I, I feel really fortunate that I have someone who does support me at the same time, which takes an amazing amount of strength. It does. It absolutely does. Um, Tell me about, I guess, the... um, I lost my train of thought for a moment. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, What... So, in writing this book and, and sort of in your research process through this experience... One of the things that you've sort of come across is mindfulness uh, being a, an important part of your mental health journey. How walk me through, you know, what you've learned and, and how you're applying that to your own life now? 
Well, it's interesting. I'd had a mindfulness practice of sorts. Um, I meditated. I've done some qigong, and that was back in the days when I was in the restaurant industry, and I really had to have something to unwind, and that was how I used it. And it took me a while to realize that that was what I needed again, that all the things I was doing wasn't really working the way I wanted it to work. And so I started reaching out. Um, I was I was fortunate enough to be involved in a project with Desmond Tutu and wow. his forgiveness project. Yeah, it was really cool. And um, I really started understanding a lot more about forgiveness and also about compassion. And that kind of moved me to go to the Compassion Center at Stanford and take a class. Um, turned out it was an eight-week course, and it was really in compassion and self-compassion. And I fell in love, and I realized that, you know, that was some of the things that was really lacking in what was going on in my life, was that I had pretty much shut off any idea of self-compassion for myself. Um, and in some respects, lost compassion for people like doctors because I was pretty pissed off. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, in that studying, then I, I tend to be one of those people that I love to learn things. And so I started learning more. I started reading John Kabat-Zinn and understanding some of his ideas. Um, and that led to studying more and meditating and really trying to bring presence to what I was doing rather than running away. And it made a huge difference for me. That's so good to hear. I, we, we've talked about mindfulness on this show before, and I, I think it bears repeating always um, because I think it's such an important part of mental health, this idea of being present and also having that self-compassion component to it and also just uh, you know I one of the sort of this is a tangent but related one of the things I sort of first learned uh, during therapy a few years back was and I had never heard of it but like thinking back now it's just like well that's obvious but like my therapist had said <laughs> I want you to figure out how to be in it be in your pain be in your depression, be in your anxiety, and just be in it. Mm -hmm. And it, it took me, it took me a while to sort of figure out how to do that, and I still struggle with it. But that that is mindfulness. That is being in the moment. That is accepting my reality, my emotional reality, my emotional state, and not having self shame or self judgment a part of it. And it's, yeah, it's huge. It's, and it sounds like it's been a huge thing for your journey as well. Yeah, it really is. And one of the things that, you know, I've, I've learned and I wish I could attribute it to one person, but I can't, is that we are always running from our past and our feelings, you know, but our past is our past. And if we're feeling this right now, this is our feeling right now. And if we push it away, then we're strengthening it. Mm. And, you know, we're, we're making it harder for ourselves because we're so busy pushing it away that that's all we focus on and we always get what we focus on. So if we focus on being miserable, well, <laughs> we're going to be miserable. Yeah. And, you know, if we can find a, a bright spot, um, I don't know if you know the author Rick Hansen, um, I do not. Oh, he wrote an amazing book called Hardwiring Happiness, and he's written several books. And part of his idea is that if you can find a glimmer of light in your life, um, I'm standing outside right now and I'm looking at um, some lavender flowers. And if I can focus on that lavender flower for a few seconds and the feeling that I have around that flower and that it's beautiful and that I love it, that, in, and a hummingbird just showed up, which just makes it that much better. That beautiful moment, the longer we hold on to that beautiful moment, even if it's only a few seconds, 
can dramatically impact the way that we feel at that mm. time. And if the more of those moments that we can wire together, the more we can be okay with where we are, even if we're in the middle of hell. Yeah, I love that so much and very, very, very well said. Um, I, I love hummingbirds. <laughs> they're, so they're perfect. magical. They There's are. something very magical about them and the way they, they move. I love them. Um, let's talk a little bit about, uh, and we'll get into the book that you're writing or you've written is what are, what are some things, what are some ways to not <laughs> care for yourself while caring for, caring for others? I want to sort of explore maybe the, maybe the struggle side of this topic a little bit, and then we'll get into, you know, some tips on sort of how we can do it in a, in a more sort of meaningful, positive way. What are some sure. ways that you've struggled with the caring for yourself while caring for others part? Well, one of the biggest mistakes that we can make is totally focus on what that other person needs and forget about ourselves. Because we, if we are not healthy, if we are not strong, um, if we are not taking care of ourselves, we can't do a good job taking care of the person we love. Yeah, And, you know, if we get obsessed if we fight um you know if we think we're advocating for them with the doctors but what we're really doing is just being pissed off and venting on other people that's not helping anyone um and i say that from a place of having done that <laughs> <laughs> yeah um and the other thing is is that we often don't listen enough we don't listen to the person that we care for we shut our minds um, because we tend to, you know, when we're in the medical system, we may objectify every single person we encounter. This is a doctor. This is a nurse. Oh, that's just a janitor. None of those things are true. So finding ways that we can um, listen, pay attention, and be present where we are allow us to just be a kinder person. And to really give everyone what they need, which ultimately is what we want to do. Yeah. What, what does, what are, I'm specifically talking about your relationship now. What, what does, what do you and your partner need in, in this context, in the caring for yourself while caring for others context? What has worked for you two? Other, you well, know, obviously the listening, being present. Are there any specific things? Listening is absolutely crucial without um, projecting. Mm. Oh, you look like you feel like shit today. It's not yeah. a good thing to say to anyone. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and saying instead of, wow, you look like shit today, you say, how do you feel? And then you actually listen to the answer. And that goes both ways. You know, I see you're having a hard time today. What's going on and how can I help? Um, even if there's nothing you can do to help, it's the asking. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, that asking is such a huge, huge thing because, like you said, you know, sometimes there there isn't, you know, specific, you know, tangible things that you can do. But, you know, the, the power of, like, hearing someone say, hey, I'm here for you. I'm here, present. I'm able to help you if you need it. There's, there's... There's power and, and, you know, solemnity in, in that uh, action. Yeah, absolutely. And also giving the other person permission to just dump on you if they need to. Mm -hmm. You know, um, realizing that, you know, people say things when they're in pain that they don't mean. And allowing that to happen. That doesn't mean it's okay to abuse somebody. But it is okay to allow somebody to vent and know she loves me. She's just venting. <laughs> yeah. I struggle with that one sometimes. I, <laughs> we all do. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I, as a, you know, pretty deeply sensitive feely boy, I, um, with my partner, I, I, you know, I, I forget sometimes that, um, you know, in her moments of struggle and, and, you know, sh I forget that she's sort of experiencing stress and anxiety and, and when she's sort of maybe, 
not processing or just processing in a way that that results in you know lashing out something or, negative yeah sure. and something negative like i i i think yeah like you said it's important to remind myself that yes she does in fact love you known you know <laughs> these are just this this is just her process and that's okay it's a good yeah and you can always reminder. say later not in the moment you know, because in the moment isn't always the right time to say something. True. But to wait until it's the right moment and say, okay, what was that all about? Yeah. And dig a little deeper to find out, you know, what's going on with you? Yeah, no, that's a good tip. I like that. I I heard someone say once that this this concept that we're talking about, it's like fixing a broken hand with a broken hand. <laughs> you know, this idea yeah. that, you know, you have to be healed you have to take care of yourself before you take care of anyone else like i think we can't say that enough because it's so easy to forget about our own self-care yeah it you know it's the same the old airline put the put the oxygen mask on yourself first right it's it's absolutely true if you pass out you're useless to me Mm -hmm. yeah i (laughs) i had a um the listener knows this but i had a um period in you know my late teens and early 20s where I actively was trying to mediate my parents marriage and mm. it was all about you know I was I was feeling depressed and anxious and and it just sort of destroyed me the fact that I couldn't control and sort of control the situation and and make it work for them somehow mm-hmm. but I put that all on myself and it you know it kind of destroyed me and it took me a long time to figure out that that uh i needed to not do that not try that because that's that or at least um be be there for them but uh be there for them in a way where i was first recognizing that that i was struggling and and take care of that and i did not do that and Hmm. you know i almost died because of it um so that's a real life lesson of of the importance of self-care people. Yeah. 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 And when you get to that place where, you know, you do almost die, you're so deep in it that you can't see it. And that, you know, as we mentioned before, that is where friends, not people you have to explain the entire dang story to, but mm-hmm. friends <laughs> can really help you dig yourself out. Absolutely. They're the mirrors. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about the book a bit. What can you give a, just a synopsis of it? And then we'll kind of delve in a little bit to some of the main takeaways. Sure. So, uh, through my own experiences and understanding how useful mindfulness was for me and speaking to some other caregivers, I realized that everybody does this and, uh, there's almost all of us at one point are either going to be uh, a caregiver for a loved one or we're going to be cared for. We're all going to die. We're all going to get sick. We're all going to have crises. And we need to learn how to deal with that before we need it. Because the one universal thing I interviewed, I'm up to almost 100 people now that I've interviewed about this book and their caregiver experience. And I run into people and I tell them about the book and they tell me their stories. And we're all the same. You know, we, we want to care for the person that we love. We get thrown into it. Most of us don't have a clue how to proceed, but we're going to wing it because we love the person we care for. And a lot of people give up their entire lives until it's over. And then there's a certain amount of bereavement not just at the loss of the person they love, but at the realization that now they have to rebuild their own lives too. Mm. And I think through mindfulness, we can understand what's going on a little bit better and be better caregivers for ourselves and for others. Yeah. What, um, what are some specific like self-care things that you've learned um, through this, this research process? 
Well, a lot of it is obviously about compassion and self-compassion. Yeah. Um, first off, self-compassion and, and understanding that where you are is a difficult place and that it's not your fault. And that through practicing some self-compassion, um, you can find strength that you didn't know you had. And you can also take off a lot of the burden that you put on yourself because, you know, you're freaking out. Your self-critic is out of control. And finding ways to manage that allows you to be stronger for yourself and for the other person. Mm. And also compassion for everyone that you interact with. Uh, I have several meditations in the book, and one of my favorite is, is loving-kindness meditation which you can do anywhere. Um, you can do it at a coffee shop. And, you know, I do it. I go to Starbucks. I'm waiting for my coffee. I will look around the room and I'll glance at people and then make take that mental picture and just wish them, may you be safe. May you be happy. Those two phrases. And if you say that to everyone you meet mentally, it changes your mindset and it makes you feel better. And they don't know why, but they feel better too. Hmm. I love that. And I, I'm going to demand of you that you give me a call and leave that on my voicemail. I will. <laughs> I will happily so. So I, I wanted to, um, I went to a mental health event a few months ago in Pasadena and I, there was a workshop there um, and this woman was doing mindfulness and uh she had this this writing on this you know little easel, and at the top, I'm just going to read it because I love it so much. I posted it on Instagram. It says, "Self-compassion break. This is a moment of suffering." And then in, in um, parentheses, mindfulness. Suffering is a part of life. Parentheses, common humanity. May I be kind to myself in this moment. Parentheses, self-kindness. Or may I accept myself just as I am? May I give myself the compassion that I need? Um, so I, I just love that, and I, mm -hmm. I like to look at that photo often. That's really important, yeah. and you know, that's some of that. That sounds like it might be based on Kristen Neff's work. Um, she's, I don't know, the goddess of self-compassion, in my opinion. Mm. Um, she really teaches, you know, how to take care of yourself simply putting your hand over your heart and saying, may I be okay? Mm -hmm. You know, that wish, that action of putting your hand over your heart can actually, um, it, it creates a feeling of self-nurture. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what, how do you, hmm, how do I phrase this? Phrase it simply, known. How... <clears throat> What do you want people to take away from this book? How do you want to impact people? I mean, I guess I guess it's what we're talking about here. But what? Who do you want to read this book? All the people on the planet? Yeah, <laughs> that's a silly question. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing: all the people on the planet are going to have to deal with this, and yeah. none of them are going to want to read it until they need it, and then they're going to be like, "Oh shit! Now I have to read a book." <laughs> and I'm busy. Right. So, right. you know, it's one of the reasons that I'm doing a lot on the website and the book is really short because I know what it's like to be sitting in an emergency room or waiting on a test. And all you can do is sit there and think about, okay, how's this test going to come out? What's going to happen now? And you focus on that negativity. And what I hope is that people will you know, take the book or the website or whatever and allow it to give them some ease in their lives and some way to understand that lots of people are struggling with this. They're not on their own. They're not alone out there. And there are plenty of people right now that have compassion for the place that they're in. Yeah. Yes, you are not alone, people. <laughs> what, how, how is... Um, I, I meant to ask this earlier. How is your partner doing now? She's doing very well. Thank you. That's good. That's good to hear. Yeah. Yeah. We've had lots of ups and downs and crises and recoveries. And right now she's doing beautifully. 
Good. Good to hear. Yeah, my, my mother, um, oh gosh, this was maybe five years ago, four years ago or so, she, the doctor found this really rare uh, tumor in her eye. Oh. And it's like inoperable, um, but she's she's basically blind in one eye now. But there was a moment there, she got some radiation and, and things, where we were, you know, sort of having the conversation of like, you know, if she goes and, you know, and all that. And it was, um, my heart just goes out to anyone and yourself included that, that has to sort of experience that with the people in our lives who struggle. And, um, even if we're in a self-compassionate, um, great sort of relationship with ourselves and with our partners, it's, it's, it's difficult and it's, it's tough and that's okay. It is. It's tough and it's normal and yeah. it's going to happen to a lot of people. And sometimes knowing that it's happening to other people doesn't make you feel any better. Um, <laughs> you know, um, but the thing is, is that I, the thing that I've learned from a lot of the people I've talked to is be prepared for what you're going to need to do. Um, you know, how are you going to care for this person? What are their desires? Getting that kind of stuff out of the way frees you up to give care. But if you're so con con hmm, if you're so concentrated on, I don't know what their wishes are. What if she has a heart attack right now? You know, what what does she want? Where does she want to go? Does she want to be buried? Does she want to be cremated? All of those things are very difficult discussions when someone is terminally ill. Yeah. So happened before. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good tip. And it, it we have a weird, strange, I mean, maybe this is like a different topic, but we do as a, as a culture have a, a strange relationship with death. And, yes. and there's a lot of, um, I would argue, um, fear and um, unhealthy sort of relationship we have with death going on in the world. And I think what is a potential cure for that or, or partial cure is, is what you're talking about, Janet, is, is honesty and, and vulnerability and openness. Yes. Yeah. So let's, before we get into Empathy Heroes, are there any tips for caretakers that we didn't cover? I think it's really about just stop. Wherever you are right now, just stop. And take stock with how you're feeling and what you need to do to feel better if that's what you need. If you're feeling overwhelmed and overstressed, you know, write it down. Journaling is an amazing tool to be able to get some of that angst out. And if you just hold it all in, if you hold in your fear, if you hold in your dread, you're just building it. So let it go, even if it's just writing it down. That's a great one. Yeah, that's a great one. That that one I use myself, and it uh, it's very helpful. Mm. Well, uh, Janet, let's uh, before we uh, plug your book and, and all your um, amazing <laughs> stuff you're doing in the world. Um, let's we always kind of start wrapping up the show talking about empathy heroes. So these are they're people in our lives, or I've. You know, I do these every week, so so I've gone into the fictional uh, realm and books and uh, even uh, people from the past that are sort of good examples of empathy, sort of infused human creatures. Well, I have to say that I would choose um, Desmond Tutu. Um well, that's he's a good one. one. <laughs> I know. He's one of the most amazing people I've ever, ever had the chance to encounter. And we've actually never met. Um, but he used to send me stuff on his iPad. So that was cool. Whoa. Um, <laughs> but he is truly an empathic person. And yet it doesn't absorb into him. You know, the man has been through so much in his lifetime. And still... He is an incredibly loving human being. 
and you know I aspire to have the levels of empathy that he does. Yeah, same. Yeah, that's great. Well, next time you send him something on your iPad, just tell him that uh, <laughs> Yumi Empathy exists. <laughs> I will. Um, well, my Empathy Hero this week came from a listener of the show, uh, Jeff Wag, who um, runs a wonderful organization called the College of Curiosity about fostering curiosity in the world and critical thinking. Anyways, Jeff's submission for Empathy Hero this week is... Quote, the kids from E.T. risking it all to save an alien. End quote. Aww. And I, th- I thought that was a good one. And, and it's, a, it's a movie I haven't seen in many years. And, mm. But uh, it's totally true. I love, I love those kids and I love their relationship with E.T. And, and uh, yeah, it's a good one. Thanks, Jeff. That's beautiful, Jeff. Thank you. Now I have a picture in my head of a little kid on a bicycle with E.T. in the front in the basket. It's a great, it's a great image, isn't it? <laughs> it is. <laughs> Well, Janet, um, where where can listeners um, read your book, purchase your book, uh, and uh, follow you and learn more about you, the work you're doing? The best thing they can do is is go to my website at janetfouts.com um, or follow me on Twitter at jfouts. The book is not published yet. I'm hoping that it's going to be the first week in August because I keep pushing it back because I keep adding more stuff and now I have to stop. So... <laughs> I hope that, uh, you know, people will go to my website and, and follow me there, and I will announce it there as soon as it's ready to go live. Well, wonderful. Well, uh, thanks. thank you so much for being on Yumi Empathy, Janet. I, I very much appreciate the work you're doing, and it's just a good reminder for my own mental health. So, thank you. No, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it, and I really appreciate your show. I think it's so important, and uh, I'm really glad you're there. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. Well, to you listeners, as I always say, I'm here, you're here. We're here together on this wayward, overwhelming, awe-inspiring pale blue dot. We have each other. It's you, me, empathy. Empathy.